we started a brand new series that we entitled Spiritual Cardiology, looking at the matters of our heart. And I believe that the human heart in its condition is vitally important for us as people. In fact, over a hundred different references in the Bible about the condition of the human heart. Um, there are anywhere from admonitions of us searching and guarding our hearts to how we have a healthy spiritual heart. And so we began a journey last week looking at what we should do. Last Sunday, I preached a message to you that was entitled, uh, A Divine Diagnosis. And we looked at the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 17, dealing with the transgressions of the southern kingdom, Judah, that had drifted away from the Lord, uh, introduced idols into their lives, trusted into their own political leanings and strength rather than in the Lord. And the prophet tells them uh, three things, and we saw those last week. First of all, he told them, Cursed is the man who puts his trust in man, whose heart turns from the Lord. The second thing he told them was, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose strength and hope is in the Lord. And then the third thing he said was, The heart is deceitfully wicked above all things who can know it. Last week we talked about the condition of the human heart and how deceptive it can be. Many people tell us we need to follow our hearts, but the heart, the human heart that's unregenerate is not to be trusted. We need a clean heart. Amen? We need a clean heart. This week, I want to go a little bit differently, and I want to talk to you about a different subject about our heart. Today, I want to talk to you from the subject, the cure for heart disease. The cure for heart disease. Last week, I mentioned to you that oftentimes it takes a doctor's diagnosis to actually recognize a heart issue. Because so many of the heart issues that we face, they don't show up externally oftentimes until the damage has already been done. I uh, mentioned that infamous heart attack from Sanford and Son. You know, it's the big one. Oftentimes we think that's what it's like when somebody's having a heart attack. But I actually watched a video last night of a young man who was 30 years old in Brazil. He was a worship leader. And he was up on stage, and he was singing praises to God. It was in Spanish, but they had the captions at the bottom. And as he was praising God, he was talking about how beautiful it's going to look like when we get to heaven. And he collapsed of a heart attack instantly, and he died. He had no other, um, no other symptoms whatsoever, his wife said, and his friends, and his record label said. No other symptoms. It just showed up suddenly. That's how dangerous the human heart is because listen the rest of our body relies upon our heart you have to have it it's got to be healthy and so oftentimes it takes a doctor's diagnosis not everything is real bad and grabbing of the chest but sometimes it's those silent heart attacks that make us think that everything is okay sometimes it's the indigestion that is masking itself or sometimes it's the pain of making us think it's a strained muscle in our chest but really it's the heart trying to communicate with us that something is wrong but I want to submit to you that sometimes we need a diagnosis from the doctor that's what we learned last week and King David found himself in this same situation. But I'm thankful that when David found the diagnosis that was so damaging to him, God didn't leave him in a state of brokenness. But there was actually a place 
where David could find a cure for his heart disease. Amen? Is anybody glad about that? Now, I want to look, I want to look at the context today of Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is a prayer of, of King David, and it's the result of his impropriety with Bathsheba. For those of you who don't know this story, I want you to just draw your attention here for a moment. I want to talk to you about this man named David. The man in the book of Acts says was a man after God's own heart. The young man who is on the backside of a field tending sheep. He loved the Lord. He liked to play his harp. He liked to write beautiful songs of, of admiration to his father. And, and some of the most beautiful psalms that we have recorded in Scripture come from David's time in the backside of a wilderness somewhere. David was a, a one of many. He had many brothers. And, you know, he was often overlooked. He didn't look like the rest of them. The Bible said he was ruddy and redheaded. And, and the others, you know, had golden skin and and, you know, one day the prophet came to town and there, there was an opportunity because there, there needed to be another king of Israel. And the, the Lord spoke to the prophet Samuel and he said, go and uh, fill your home with oil and go down to Jesse's house and anoint one of his sons to be the next king of Israel. And David was out on the field and so Jesse got all of his other sons and he lined them up and they stood before the prophet and, and he went to try to pour his oil. But the oil would not flow because that oil was prescribed for one person. That oil had somebody's name on it and that name was David. And David was in the backside of his father's field, trying to be obedient, just trying to do what his, he wasn't jockeying for position. He wasn't jockeying for power. His brothers all stood up waiting for the next promotion, but David found himself overlooked, and, and the, the prophet Samuel said, no, there's, you must have another son because the, this oil is not flowing. And Jesse said, yes, there is one more. It's my son, David. And when he got David from the field, the Bible said that oil flowed on David. And from that moment, the Bible says the Spirit of the Lord came upon David and God anointed him to be the next king of Israel. Even though there was some time between his anointing and him stepping into his office physically, God had already put his fingerprints and hand of approval upon David to be the king of Israel. And we see David grew in stature and he grew in wisdom and, and things like that. And David found himself the king of Israel. He was a powerful man. In fact, I would submit to you, he was the most powerful man in that type, in that part of the world. Troops, they did exactly what he said. If he said jump, they said how high. If David asked them to build something, he would build them. David had cupbearers and people who would sample his food and sample his water so that the king wouldn't get poisoned. He had armor bearers. He had people all throughout his ranks in the kingdom. He had mighty men who did great things for him. He was a powerful guy. He had a great position of authority and prominence. But the Bible tells us something rather interesting about David. The Old Testament prophet writes and records that there was a time in spring where kings should have been out to war, but David found himself at home, bored on his balcony. And when he looks 
out of his corner of his eye, he catches the gaze, the silhouette, if you will, of a beautiful woman by the name of Bathsheba. There are a lot of people who have painted Bathsheba as this horrible woman who was bathing in public. But if you know anything about the culture, she wasn't doing anything wrong. Number one, kings were not supposed to be at home and all the men were supposed to be out at war. Uh, Also, it was not uncommon for them to bathe in a place like that, in a situation like that. And so she was minding her own business. But I want to tell you that it wasn't the first look that David did that was wrong. It was the gaze The continual focusing of his affection on a woman that was not his wife. And David told one of his servants, he said, hey, inquire of that woman and have her come to me. And they brought Bathsheba and the Bible goes on to tell us that David, by his influence and his power. Listen, friends, let me tell you something. This is already a bad situation. But what makes it even worse are two things. David's a man of God, and number two, he's in a position of authority. And anytime you have a person who's in a position of authority over another person, there are some ethical lines that have been drawn. That's why our own society doesn't look very fondly, no matter the age distinction between a student and a teacher, if a teacher has relations with her student or a pastor with his parishioner or anything like that. So David began to allow the condition of his heart to blur the lines ethically to now where he has got this woman in his presence and for a lack of better words has his way with her. Her husband is an honorable man. He's serving David. He's putting himself at risk in the army. They're at war. And now all of a sudden, something happens. Hear me, hear me clearly. What was meant to be a secret moment behind the closed doors of the king's palace was about to become the front page of the Jerusalem news because you can hide a pregnancy for a few weeks, but there's coming a time where the baby bump is coming and the prophet said, be sure that your sin, it will find you out. And all of a sudden, what was meant to be secret, what was meant to be closed, began to grow. And David began to wonder, what in the world am I going to do? Go back in in the book of Kings and and read this story for yourself, and you're going to find out that this is crazy. When you look between the accounts in Samuel and Kings, and you're like, whew, why in the world do I need to watch a soap opera? Why do I need when the days of our lives and as the world turns? Why why do I need desperate housewives when I can just read the Old Testament? And what we find is that that David, his sin begins to come before him. And and listen, uh, it's one of those things to where it's like, man, if you just get it right, right here, uh, you know, you can, you can, there's redemption from a mistake. Listen, if any of you are in a situation right now where you feel like you've made a mistake and you can't go back, that's a lie. There's redemption, there's hope. You don't have to keep going further. Listen, uh, uh, two wrongs don't equal a right. 
And David somehow thought it did. Because he sends note out to Uriah and to the, the captain of the, of the army and says, bring Uriah back to the palace. I, I want to have a word for him. And he, I'm paraphrasing here for the sake of time. Go read it yourself. But David basically tells Uriah, you know, man, um, you're doing so great in the army. I appreciate you. I'm giving you a hall pass. You can come home for the night. You can enjoy your wife. I'm, I'm trying to speak as PG as I can. You can enjoy your wife and, and, you know, have a good old time, and then you can go back tomorrow. And David was hoping that Uriah would impregnate Bathsheba, and they could just say, oh, look, man, you must have been ready to see mama because now you got a baby coming. But David's plan didn't work. You know why? Because Uriah had more honor than David. And Uriah said, I can't go home and lie in pleasure while my friends and my brethren are being shot on the front lines. No, I'm not going to do that. And so David did everything that he possibly could to try to make this happen, but he wouldn't do it. How many stop signs did this man run through to get to this place? And so now he does the unthinkable. He sends another note, and he goes, you know what? Put Uriah on the front line and position him so in battle. And David knew in his heart of hearts that he would be killed. And then people would think, you know, it's real tragic. You know, man, this man came home to see his wife, and she got pregnant, and, and he died in the war. I think we need to get back on the Internet when we get home and start a GoFundMe for them. You know, it's a real sad story that Uriah was such a good man. King David would have probably gave the first $1,000. But, you know, he went on this cover-up, and he began to cover up his transgression. Now, folks, can I tell you something? Let me shock you for a moment. This guy, even though it wasn't the New Testament, even though Jesus hadn't been born or died or resurrected from the dead yet, David is still a man in covenant with God. He's felt the anointing of the Holy Spirit come upon his life. He's prophesied. He's led God's people. He, all of these things, and, and yet... The snowball of his affliction is gathering steam. What was once tried to be swept under the carpet is now a bulge that cannot be denied. And like David and most of us at one time in our lives, we felt like we've gotten away with it. Don't look at me with that sanctified face as if you've never sinned since you've been a Christian. Don't act like you've never thrown it away, deleted it or anything. You know what I'm talking about. Listen, so many times we think we've gotten away with it. But how many of you know the Lord loves us so much? Come on, you missed a real good chance to say amen today. I said, how many of you know that the Lord loves us so much 
that he's not willing to allow us to persist in this state because he desires that intimate fellowship with us. David was going through the motions. If you read the rest of Psalms, David was going through the motions up until this point because he was harboring this thing in his life. I want to bring you to a conversation today. Look with me in 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter number seven, uh, 2 Samuel chapter number 12 verse number 7 Before we start reading David's a shepherd he understands sheep So Nathan the prophet comes to him and gives him the word of the Lord Somebody say the word of the Lord He gives him the word of the Lord And he begins to tell him, David, what about this man who had a sheep and he nourished it? And and this rich man had many flocks, but this one man only had nothing. He had nothing but one sheep. That's all he had was one sheep. But this rich man went and did the unthinkable. David, as a shepherd, he says, that's horrible. That man is guilty. Nathan the prophet said, you are the man. You're that man, David. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. Then Nathan said, your master's house and your master's wives to your keeping. And I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And that had been too little. I would have also given you much more. David, if if you wanted more than that, I would have. But here's what happened. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? For you have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife. And you have killed with the sword of the people of Ammon. Now therein the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and you have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Last verse, look at this. But thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up adversity against you in your own house and I will take wives before your eyes and I will give them to your neighbor and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. David was found out and and God revealed it to the prophet by the word of the Lord. He said, David, you are that man. You had all of these things available to you in the kingdom but little old Uriah he just had one little old wife and and they loved each other and now you have taken that from him you're guilty and if you continue to read down this verse this rest of this passage David is met at this moment with the weight of his conviction Notice this, verse 13. So David said to Nathan, Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Notice here, he confessed it. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. But he goes on to tell him, here's what's going to happen. You're going to have to pay some price and some consequence of your actions. You know, folks, I think sometimes we forget this sometimes. God can forgive us. And wipe the slate clean for us. And as far as eternity goes, there are some things that, that God, he wipes away all of our transgression. But as far as eternity goes, that slate is blank. But on earth sometimes, there are some consequences of our actions. 
You don't believe me? Ask anybody in a federal prison. Somebody who's truly given their life to Christ. I've met many of them. They love Jesus. Many of them will serve the rest of their life there. They can't vote. They can't own a gun. There are certain things that have been taken from them. There are consequences societally that must be paid. But I, I want you to see this. David is met now with the weight of his sin. This morning I'm talking to you about the cure for heart disease. The cure for heart disease. Go back with me to Psalm 51 and let's begin to break this down this morning. I already told you our background. Psalm 51 was written in the backdrop of David's repentant heart. And it's interesting to me that in Acts 13, 22, the Bible calls David a man after God's own heart. And you have to ask yourself the question, how can David be a man after God's own heart after he has, he has you know, basically scandalized this thing in Israel and he's gotten a man's wife pregnant and he's gotten her killed? I thought, after all, David, I thought you were a man of God. Well, let me tell you why David was a man after God's own heart. Because he was a man who when he recognized when he did wrong, he went back to the Lord and sought for mercy. This morning, I want to talk to you about the cure for heart disease. In the body of Christ today, we're trying to give everybody all types of medicine. And that's the issue. When I was a child... And I got strep throat. I was like most kids. I didn't want to take the medicine. So the pharmacist told my mother, I've got a little something for you. I'll take this amoxicillin here, and I'll make it taste like bubble gum. And so that when you take the medicine, you don't really realize you're taking the medicine because it tastes like sugar. And folks, I want you to know that much of what we're giving people today is sugar. Rather than giving them the antidote to what will change their life, we're giving them something to pacify and placate them until they get further entrenched into what they're dealing with. This morning, the cure of heart disease, I want to tell you, it starts with one word. It's a Christian curse word. People don't preach about it today. In fact, those who do say it's no longer necessary. But here's what I want to tell you. That word today is repentance. 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 It's not an Old Testament word. It's a New Testament word. The word repentance comes from the Greek word metanoia. It, it literally speaks of the transformation of a butterfly. From a caterpillar to a beautiful spread wing butterfly. A literal transformation. I was one way, but now I'm the other way. It speaks of a military term, an about face. I'm walking this way, but now I am this way. See, many times in the church, we've told people repentance is just grabbing a tissue and blowing some snot in it. But the Bible says that a dog will always return to its own vomit. Unless you have a change of mind and a change of direction, you will find yourself going back in the same place that you've always been in. But I believe like David, God is calling the people back to a place of brokenness.
So I want you to see these first few verses here. Because I know they'll bless you today. You ready? Psalm 51, verse 1 through 6. Notice David's words. Have mercy upon me. Somebody say me. According to your loving kindness. According to your multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my. Somebody say my. Then notice what David said. Wash me. Somebody say me. Wash me thoroughly from my. Somebody say my. My iniquities and cleanse me. Somebody say me. From my, say my, sin. Listen, I did that for a reason. Because David, up until this point, has been acting like his sin didn't exist. He's hidden it. He's trying to cover it up. But there came a place in his life where that sin came to full fruition and David had to deal with it. See, God in his mercy confronted David with the word of the Lord. And you and I, whenever we receive the word of the Lord, we have an opportunity to either do one or two things. We can respond to it in obedience or we can turn from it in disobedience. We have a choice. Thank God David responded correctly. David said, Lord, wash me. Cleanse me from my sin. See, if you're taking notes this morning, if you want to get on the road to the cure for heart disease, number one, you must acknowledge the problem. you got to acknowledge the problem. Notice here that David said, my iniquities and my sins. Can I tell you so many times when I counsel people, they come in and they, they say, Pastor, I want to talk to you. I'm dealing with this. I'm dealing with that. I'm going to tell you, it becomes Dr. Phil a lot of times. Because here's what they say. I'm like this because of my spouse. I'm like this because of my husband. I'm like this because of my mama. I'm like this because of my daddy. Listen, you will never get on the road to breakthrough when you're blaming everybody else for your issue. The only way you're really going to start getting right is when you acknowledge that I have an issue and I have to deal with that issue. I have to acknowledge it. So many times we have 2,200 vision when it comes to everybody else's issues. Or I'm sorry, 20, negative 200. We can see clearly what they're going through. But when it comes to our own, we have Ray Charles vision. We got Stevie Wonder vision. We can't see our own pride. We can't see our own lust. We can't see our own wickedness that we've allowed to creep in. But David, thank God that he responded to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Folks, listen, we need conviction. I'm not for condemnation. I don't like condemnation. Condemnation is, is, is the negative of conviction. Condemnation is to kick one down. Condemnation is to beat one down and say, you're not worthy. See, I told you so. No, no, no. That comes from the adversary. But the Holy Spirit will convict us of sin if we listen to him. you got to learn to heed the conviction of the Holy Spirit. When he brings that to your remembrance, you got to acknowledge it like David did. you got to recognize our own transgressions, and we have to own them. That's the first step. I want to continue down this journey. Look at verse number 7. David says this, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, 
and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sin and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me clean hands and a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Listen, I want to I take a few moments and I want to look at these few verses right here. See, number one, we've got to acknowledge the problem. But here's the second thing on the road to the cure for heart disease. Are you ready? Number two, we've got to seek cleansing and forgiveness. We've got to seek cleansing and forgiveness. This is an Old Testament picture uh, passage, but I've got New Testament for every one of these. We've got to seek cleansing and forgiveness. See, it's one thing to admit that we've done something wrong. But the next thing that we've got to do is we've got to seek that cleansing and forgiveness from the Lord. See, not only should we recognize the problem, but we've got to ask the Lord to cleanse us. Notice what David said. Against you and you alone have I sinned. Now, we know he sinned against Bathsheba. We know he sinned against Uriah. But what David was saying right here was that ultimately my sin, my transgression, was that I lost the trust and I hurt the heart of my father. Folks, we're in a dangerous place when sin doesn't break our hearts anymore. We're in a dangerous place when when we transgress openly against God's law, that it doesn't affect us anymore. When I was reading this passage, a couple things jumped out to me specifically. And I want to read them again with you, starting in verse number 7. Notice what David said here. And you underline this in your Bible or highlight it if you're a highlighter. But notice what he said, purge me. And I shall be clean. Notice this. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Blot out all my iniquities. Purge me, wash me, blot out all my iniquities. You know what that tells me? Oh, I'm going to help somebody this morning. You know what that tells me? It tells me David's sin made him feel dirty. David's sin, his transgression, once he dealt with the weight of it, it made him feel dirty. And I believe we're in a sad state today when people who call themselves Christians can live in all kind of abomination and they don't even feel guilty about it. They sit under the preaching of the Word of God and they get all of this sugar and all of these things and they leave never feeling the desire or the need to change. But I'm here to tell you today that repentance is the key to having a clean heart. God wants us to turn from those things. We must seek cleansing and forgiveness. He said, Lord, wash me. Wash me. When's the last time you've been faced with the reality of things? Listen, I'm, I'm not even talking about things you did before you were saved. Thank God those things are under the blood, never to be remembered. I'm talking about those things you've done since you've known the Lord, like David. What about those things? David is faced with that, and he says, oh, Lord, please wash me. Cleanse me. Make me white as snow. His sin made him feel gross. Here's the third thing. It's found in verse number 10 through 15. Notice this. David said, 
create in me a clean heart. David recognized that his heart had gotten dirty. He said, Lord, create in me a clean heart. Oh, I wish that was some of our prayers today. Create in me a clean heart, oh God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. David said, do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your spirit from me. I believe David was talking about that tangible anointing that he could feel that came upon him for service. He said, Lord, don't, don't take it from me. He said, Lord, he's, he's dealing with what he's dealing with. He's saying, Lord, I, I need you to uphold me. And notice what he says here. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth praise. See, number one, we have to acknowledge the problem. Number two, we've got to seek the cleansing and forgiveness. Number three, here's what I want you to hear. We've got to embrace Restoration. We got to embrace restoration. Oh, help us, church. I'm telling you that when we fall, when we fall short, when a person falls into egregious sin and they come back to the Lord, I'm telling you, the Lord wants to restore those who have fallen. Are you with me? The Lord wants to restore those who have fallen into these traps of the adversary. You know, it's interesting to me that the United States military, ask any of our men who, who um, have served in any branch of the military, who've been in armed, uh, in, 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 in armed battle. The military teaches them that when one of our soldiers has fallen, they're to risk their lives to go back in and bring them out. There's a motto in the military, no man left behind. No man left behind. One way or another, everybody's going home, but we're not leaving. We're not leaving them on enemy territory. But isn't it interesting that the Christian army is the only army that shoots their own wounded? You don't believe me? Let somebody fall. Let somebody fall. Then we're like, oh, God can't use them anymore. Well, listen, I agree that God can't use them if they're going to stay unrepentant. But the moment they come to the weight of their sin and they say, Lord, I, I repent. I ask you to cleanse me, restore me. God restores. You don't believe me? Ask Peter. You can't get much more worse than denying the Lord three times. Jesus knew he was going to do it. He said, Peter, Satan, Satan, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat, Peter. He said, but I've prayed for you that your faith not fail, but when you're converted, strengthen your brethren. Jesus knew Peter was going to go through a test, and he failed the test. But guess what? 
Jesus restored him. David asked for cleansing, but we also must embrace restoration. And there are a lot of people who don't want to deal with restoration. They don't want to deal with doing your first works over again. And retracing your steps to see where I fell and what trap I fell in and to make sure I don't fall in it again. But David, his cry was create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit, a right mindset within me. Let me ask you the question, when's the last time you've prayed such a prayer? Lord, create in me a clean heart. Lord, I've had negative thoughts today. I've thought wrongly today. I've spoken wrongly today. And Lord, I know that's not your character. I know that's not the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So Lord, I'm asking you to create in me a clean heart today that looks like you. It's important. David's goal was to maintain the secret place with the Lord. Now let me tell you something. All lies right here. David and Saul both have something in common other than being the king of Israel. Both kings fail. Both kings fail. Go study the history. Both of them were confronted by a prophet over their sin. You want to know what the major difference between Saul and David was? Don't forget this. When Saul was confronted... Saul was worried about losing the kingdom. When David was confronted, he was worried about losing the secret place. Let me say that again. When Saul was confronted, he was worried. All he was worried about was the kingdom, the kingdom. What's going to happen to the kingdom? What's going to happen to my kingdom? When David was confronted, he was worried about the Lord's presence. And let me tell you something. There is nothing more important in this world. There's not a platform. There's not a record contract. There's not a movie contract. There's not any ounce of fame or fortune that this world can offer that pales in comparison to what we get when we remain in the secret place of the Most High and we abide under the shadow of the Almighty. It's the Psalm 91 abiding presence of God that David was worried about. You see, David said this later on. He said, Lord, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house house of the Lord than all of these great uh, grandos things that I could do because nothing is more important to me than your presence. Folks, we need to get back to longing for the presence of God in our lives. If there's anything in our hearts that's not right, we got to get it out and ask the Lord to restore that joy, restore that closeness, restore that fellowship so that we can walk upright with him. Here's the last thing. It's found in verse 15. David said, O Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall show forth your praise. Verse 16, look at this. He says, for you do not desire sacrifice or else I'd give it to you. You do not delight in burnt offerings for the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and a contrite heart. These, O Lord, you will not despise. Here's number four, and I'm closing with this. Not only must we embrace restoration, number four, if we're going to get on the road to the cure for heart disease, we got to make sure that we're offering our heart to the Lord. 
David's confronted his sin. He's dealt with it. He's confessed it. He's asked the Lord to cleanse him. He's asked the Lord to wash him. And, and David, David gets to this point. He said, Lord, you, you don't desire sacrifices. And you don't desire burnt offerings. If you did, I'd give it to you. You know what David was saying right there? The Lord spoke to me when I was reading that this week. Here's what the Lord put on my heart. He said, you know, there are some people that when they mess up with the Lord, rather than coming to him in true repentance, they'd rather just give an offering to a ministry or something. Here you go. David said, Lord, if you desired that, I'd give it to you. That's not what you desire. You desire a broken and a contrite heart. That you won't despise. Folks, when we blow it, the Lord just says, I want, you to, I, want, I want your heart. I want your brokenness. I want your brokenness. You know why? Because sin breaks you. It's not God's will. It's not His plan for us to live in such a way. But you know something? I've said this before, but there's some new people here today. There was a nursery rhyme when I was a kid about Humpty Dumpty. The Lord speaks to me in funny ways. I can't help it. But the nursery rhyme says, Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. And all of the king's horses and all of the king's men, they couldn't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. But let me tell you something. There's not a Humpty Dumpty that Jesus can't put back together. If, if, if you give him the broken pieces. Here's my brokenness, Lord. I did it. Here's my brokenness. I want you to stand on your feet.